what is evangelism and how do I evangelise? I know I ask my question, uh, myself that question a lot. I mean, how on earth do I evangelise? And there's a... I wonder if you could put your hands up if you've heard of this guy before. Have any of you heard of someone called Dynamo? He's a magician. Yeah? Oh, I thought there'd be more of you because he's a northerner, you see, so I thought you guys would know him. Yeah, Dynamo, right? He's a good magician, yeah? He's a great magician. He's got a TV series on watch and he's also got a couple of DVDs out. And he does a trick and I think to myself, how on earth did you do that? And his trick is this. He gets a bottle of empty beer and an iPhone smashes them together and the iPhone ends up in the empty bottle of beer. And the people around him, because he's doing this on the street, the people around him are thinking, oh my days, how did you do that? And they're all creasing up on the floor in laughter, thinking, how on earth did you get my iPhone in that beer bottle? And I think evangelism can be a bit like that as well. How on earth do we evangelise? How on earth do I tell people about Jesus? Do I go out now in this uh, shopping centre and just get up on a platform and start saying, repent everyone and come to Christ? Would I look like a nutter? Is that what we're meant to do? How on earth do I tell my mother, who's not a Christian, about Jesus? Especially when I'm her son and she just looks at me thinking, you can't tell me nothing. How on earth do you tell your college friends about Jesus? How on earth do you tell your workmates about Jesus? How on earth do you tell your university friends about Jesus? How on earth do you tell your best friend who is not a Christian about Jesus when they all know your flaws and faults? So today, I want to see what the Apostle Paul mainly and Jesus did to tell about the kingdom and about Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And I'm taking an assumption here, by the way, that many of you in here, if not all, are Christians and know what the gospel is. So Jesus died for sin and rising again, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Gospel in a nutshell. I'm taking for granted that many of you know that. So I'm not going to go into explaining the gospel. Instead, I'm going to go into explaining how on earth do we tell people this great and wonderful truth about our Lord and Saviour who took our sin on the cross. How on earth do we tell people about that? But for, before we go to the Bible, I just want to pray and ask the Lord to open up our hearts and to keep us awake. Because I don't know about you, I'm a bit tired as well. So I just want to pray that and just let's pray now together and ask the Holy Spirit to really enlighten our hearts as we go through Scripture. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you are our God, our King, our Lord and our Saviour. You sent your Son to die for us who saved us from our sin, who saved us from our rebellion. And this is the good news. And we're wondering today, Lord, how on earth do we tell people this good news? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you open up our hearts and minds to your word. I pray, Lord, that you keep us alert and attentive to it. And I pray, Lord, that most of all, that you would be glorified and honoured in our midst. And we would love you, love one another, and love the world more as well, people in the world, so we'd want to tell them about your greatness, glory, and your salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm going to go into one thing first, and this is a revolutionary idea. The first way to answer how on earth do we evangelise is this, pray. 
I told you it was revolutionary, didn't I? I'm only joking, it's not really, but pray. So I want to just, I don't know if I'm going to embarrass you, I am going to embarrass you a bit, I mean, because I didn't do this either. Who got up this morning and prayed that God would open up doors so they could tell someone about Jesus today? It's quite a simple thing to do, right? But what I have found, especially in our church circles, is that we don't genuinely pray for God to open up doors so we can tell people about Jesus. I didn't this morning either, and I prepared this talk. That's how bad I am. So the first big thing I want to emphasise is let's pray that God helps us to tell people about Jesus. And that is the first way we can answer how on earth do I evangelise? By praying and relying on God to open up those doors for us. Now the second way I would like us all if we can to turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And we're going to look at a second way to help us to answer the question, how on earth do we evangelise? Matthew 28, verse 19. I'll just wait till you guys get there. I mean, some of you might be on iPhones and it might freeze or something. You know, I hate that. It's just like, stick to the paper. I think it's better. But that's up to you, really. So, Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, and what's the word after therefore? Come on, I know you're all tired, but give me a bit of back here. What's the word after therefore in verse 19? Go. Thank you. Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So the second way we can answer how on earth do I evangelise is by going to make disciples. Actually going to do it. And I know that might seem simple, but if you're anything like me, I've sat there in my room before thinking, how on earth am I going to make disciples for Jesus? How on earth am I going to tell people about Jesus? And I've literally sat all night in my room not going anywhere. I mean, I could have started well by at least going somewhere instead of worrying about it. Now, I'm not asking you to go to Timbuktu. I'm not asking you to go to Africa. I'm not asking you to go anywhere like that. You can easily go to your neighbourhood. And I'm going to see now, and I want us to see now, what this word, what go, how we can do the go. And to do that, we're going to look in Acts. So there's a lot of Bible flicking today, so you might need to get your trigger finger on the ready, as they say. So Acts 13. So let's see how Paul does the go. That's what I want to do. Acts is basically a book in the Bible that talks about early church history. And it's like a commentary on it, if you were. How people got saved, how people preached, how the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Rome. And we're going to look at Acts 13, verse 5. So let me give you a bit of background on, uh, to a minute about what Paul and his team are doing. They've just been sent out from a church called Antioch. And they've been sent out to go and preach the gospel. That's what's just, they've been, that's what's just happened. And they've just gone to Cyprus. And now this is what happens. Chapter 13, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, forgive me, I can't do place names. I'm really bad at it. My accent doesn't help me anything. So I think it says Salamis. Forgive me for that. They proclaimed the word of God in the... What? Where did they proclaim the word of God? Speak up. Synagogue. In the Jewish synagogue. At least some people are awake. You're a very tough crowd, may I say, today. I know you've just had dinner. 
But I know how you feel. You're just like, oh, shut up. Don't tell me to speak up. But please, it would help us all so it would keep us all awake. So he's gone to the Jewish synagogue with his mate Silas to preach the word. John was with them as well as their helper. And what we see in Acts, in Acts 17, when Paul goes into Thessalonica with his ministry team, when he goes into Athens with his ministry team, the first ports of call were usually Jewish synagogues, or in Athens as well, he goes to a marketplace. And this is my point. Paul and his team are going to meeting places. They're going to points of contact. Now, I learned this, not just from the scripture, but from my Bible course I did called UMP. And it really emphasised this, and we looked through all Acts and looked at these meeting points where Paul and his team went to. And its meeting point is basically this, where people gather. And Paul has done the most obvious meeting point. Because he's a Jew, he's gone to the Jewish synagogue to meet Jews to tell them that the Messiah has died and risen again. And he's going to meet people there who might listen to him or not listen to him. But it's a meeting point where he can share the gospel. And this is the part of the go and making disciples. Going to meeting places and meeting points where people are. And this is one of the ways we can answer the question, how on earth do I evangelise? By going to meeting places or meeting points where people are. Now this might seem a bit like, what's he talking about? But it's quite simple in various ways. We all have meeting points, unless you're an extreme loner who's never met anyone in your whole life. But I doubt that's the case. We all have meeting points in our lives. I'll just share a couple that I have with you. The shop. I meet people in the shop. I come from a council estate and we all chat a lot. We all chat about just certain things and how much we hate the council and stuff like that. But people talk in shops all the time. Asda, co-op. It's a meeting point. So when you're there getting your chicken, you're chatting to someone about the football or about the council or about someone having an affair or something. I don't know. But there's always someone chatting to you and chatting. That's a meeting point for me, the shop. And by God's grace, I figured that out because I can get into conversations there. There's other meeting points for me as well. The gym. I go to the gym and I know everyone's working out, but when you ask to do a bit of equipment, you can get to know the person. And they can even show you, because I started working out six, seven months ago in the gym and I don't know certain ways to do stuff. They even say, oh, mate, you do it like this. And that's a meeting point and a chat. Now I know that this guy's trying to show me something. Then I ask his name and then Bob's your uncle and Marge is your aunt. I've got a meeting point and I've chatted to him. And now I'm building a relationship with him. There's other meeting points too. Maybe if you go to university or college, that's a meeting point. Maybe if you go to some form of youth groups or social groups, football groups, dance groups, any of these things are meeting points to meet people. And what I'm trying to say is this, is that we all have meeting points. And this is one of the first steps we can, uh, to how we answer the question, how on earth do I evangelise? Now, in one of the shops that I was going to, there was a guy called Shane, believe it or not, my name. And I saw it on his name tag, Shane. And I'm going into the shop and I think, I've got to talk to him. I've got to talk to him. So I went up to him and I went, your name's Shane. And he went, yeah. I went, my name's Shane too. And it was just fun. And then we started chatting and building a relationship. And lo and behold, I sounded really old English there, didn't I? Lo and behold. Lo and behold, I managed after a couple of weeks of chatting to him, getting to know him, getting to know where he's from. I just found out he's from prison. This, just got out of prison. This is his first job he's ever had. I managed to invite him around my house and I managed to give him the gospel and read the Bible with him. 
That was all from just going into a co-op shop, knowing this is a meeting place to meet people where I could build relationships with people and maybe tell them about Jesus and praying on that as well. So one of the questions, because I'm going to give you questions to answer and to think through after this seminar, and one of the questions um, I think we can ask ourselves and write down is, what are our meeting points? What are our personal meeting points to meet people? Maybe it is university, college, social groups, youth groups. What are those meeting points? Now, I want to look at another thing of how we act and do in these meeting points. So to do that, I want us to turn to Colossians 4. So, Grandad eats purple custard, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how you remember it. I mean, that's how I remember it anyway. So, Grandad eats purple custard. So, we've got Galatians, we've got Philippians, we've got Philippians, and then we've got Colossians. And we're looking at verse, uh, verse 4, chapter 4. I'll just wait till you guys get there. So, chapter 4, verse 5. And this is the Apostle Paul again, right into a church in Colossae which I believe is in Turkey, but don't quote me on that because I didn't look it up before I did this talk, and that's very bad. So I should have, but I think it's in Turkey. I'm sure someone will correct me afterwards if it's not. So, chapter 4, verse 5. Pray, no, sorry, be wise in the way you act towards who? Who's he telling them to be wise to? Act wise to? Outsiders, thank you over there. Act towards outsiders. Be wise in that. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. I've always wondered, like, seasoned with salt. That's a great little analogy, isn't it? So that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, going on from how on earth do we evangelise? We talked about going and doing it and going to meeting places. Now, this is the next thing I want to pull out. And this could be a bit controversial, and I don't mean to offend anyone here, but this is just what I've experienced. Being wise with meeting places. Now, what does that mean? Paul says to us to be wise towards outsiders, and he means non-Christians. And let our conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And I take being wise here is like this. Being countercultural, but normal. Being countercultural, but normal. I've seen this in myself, so I'm not just blaming everyone else I've ever known who's a Christian. But sometimes as Christians, we can be odd. And not odd in the good way. I mean, it's good to be odd for the gospel. But we can be socially odd in weird ways. Now, I just want to give you an example of this, yeah? And I'm sorry if you thought of this. I'm not meaning to offend you, but I personally, and other non-Christians that I've asked, and people from my estate that I've asked thought this was a weird way to evangelise, and I'm going to tell you it now. When I was at university, I won't tell you which university because then you'll know, I was part of the CU big time. And we were discussing evangelism and we had a meeting point, campus. We had cafes and bars and all that on campus, which were meeting points. And we were discussing how could we reach out to people on these meeting points. And then everyone agreed to my horror that they were going to do, and this is just my personal opinion, by the way, disclaimer, that they were going to do a flash mob. Now, if you don't know what a flash mob, this is what a flash mob is. It's where you stand there all still, like this, holding a programme about CU, and then when a group of people walk past, you start doing a weird dance. Right? Now, I was like, okay, that's a bit odd. I would find that odd. If you did that in my estate, you'd probably get punched because you'd freak people out. 
But let's just try it. This is a nice, lovely university. People don't use physical violence went like that when they're sober. So, you know, let's just try it. I tried it. It was the weirdest and oddest thing, even to the extent, and this is my fault, how, how I responded. I didn't want to know these Christians. It was just weird. It was countercultural, but it was not normal. I suppose it would be normal if you were reaching out to a Shakespearean theatre company or to some sort of artsy kind of part of university. But we're reaching out to science and history guys who are all quite rational and who are a bit like, what are you doing? That was odd. That was countercultural and odd. And what I'm saying here is this. Being wise is not being odd socially. But we also have to be countercultural. Now, I'll give you an example of what it means to be countercultural for the gospel, but normal, which really shows God's glory as well. I was walking down the road with one of my mates from church, and we went into Greg's, a meeting point, and we're starting to chat away to the cashier. But as we were chatting away to the cashier, she overchanged my mate. She gave him an extra five pounds. And my mate looked at it and went, excuse me, darling, you give me an extra five pounds. And she went, oh, thank you for being so honest and generous, and honest, sorry, and telling me that, because I could have really got done for that. And there was a kid from the estate in the shop with us who looked at us and went, bruv, why did you do that? You could have had five quid. You could have bought fags with that or anything. And he looked at him, my mate looked at him and went, bruv, God has told me to be honest to people and to love people. And part of me loving people and loving him is being honest to people. That's why I couldn't take that five pounds. And the boy looked at him in amazement and went, wow, your God is some next level, in it? And bopped out the shop. <laughs> that shows a good thing about not just Christians, but about God as well. That was being countercultural, but countercultural in a normal, and it, weren't so, it was normal, non-normal in a good way which showed God glory and it showed that God's people wanted to honour God and love other people. And that young boy, who was about 13, 14, went away with a good idea of what it meant to be a Christian and live out our faiths. faith. Another way we can be wise in our meeting points is by getting to know people. Now, I think it's okay if you want to, after meeting someone for the first five minutes, tell them your whole religious and political beliefs. But that generally doesn't work in our culture. I know Paul did it as he went to the Jewish synagogues and we see him going to marketplaces in Greece. But his culture is very different to ours. In our culture, if you go up to someone after meeting them for five minutes, getting to know them and know them for about three or five minutes and then start giving your deep religious beliefs, it's odd. It's weird. They'd be like, whoa. Do you know what I mean? That's what genuinely the case is. I'm not saying God can't use that. He can but generally, people are a bit freaked out for it, and then they'll try and avoid you for the rest of the time they see you. Trust me, I've tried it. Even when they walk down the street, they're like, and then they just won't see you again. It's because I've shared something with them which is culturally odd. So I figured out is that it's better, actually, in my context on the council estate, and I think on all of our contexts in this country, to actually get to know people first at these meeting points. Getting to know who they are, what their dislikes and likes are. Are they a family person? What do they like to do? Have they got brothers or sisters? What's their background? Have they, what sort of pain have they shared or struggled with in their lives? What do they like to study? What do they like to think? What would they like to do as a job? And getting to know per people personally like that will give you inroads to the gospel. So, 
What have we learned so far? We have learned this. How on earth do we evangelise and tell people about Jesus? Well, first of all, we pray, then we go, and we go to meeting places or points which we all have, which I want us all to think through what they are. And then we'd be wise with these meeting points by not being odd, but countercultural, and getting to know people. Now, I want to look at something else. What else we can do? So turn with me to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. I told you it would be a bit in the Bible today. Like we all are for the whole day, I should say. But we're flicking through my one in big time. So Matthew 9, verse 10. I believe it's verse 10. I hope it's verse 10. Please be Matthew 9. Aha, it is. Praise the Lord. Matthew 9, verse 10. Right. Are we all there? Yeah? Cool? Don't be shy. Yeah? Cool. Right, Matthew 9, verse 10. Just the verse before, Matthew, uh, Jesus has just told Matthew, who's a tax collector, to follow him. And Matthew just got up and followed him and left his tax booth. Great evangelist, Jesus was. That's what's just happened. Now, what we're seeing in verse 10 is this. Now, let's read it. When Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, why have I chose this to answer how on earth do we evangelise? Well, I've chose this for a reason, and you'll see it in a minute. It's that Matthew was a tax collector. Now, let me give you a bit of background on tax collectors in ancient Israel. They were seen as really dirty, dodgy geezers. They were seen as traitors to the Israelites. People in Israel hated them. They were those hated people. I suppose it's a bit like drug dealers today. If you see a heroin drug dealer or a crack drug dealer who sells crack to kids, you're not going to really like that person. You're going to think he's scum. This is what the Israelites thought of tax collectors because they were seen as traitors. Now, why am I bringing this up? It's because Jesus' disciples, probably their first thought wouldn't have been, let's do an outreach to tax collectors. Because it'd be like, no, they're just scummy guys, isn't it? Why are we going to do an outreach to them? But look what Matthew does. He invites Jesus round his house and allows all the tax collectors and sinners to come and meet Jesus and eat with him. This is how Matthew is bringing the gospel to these tax collectors and sinners. He's inviting them round to his house to meet Jesus. Now, to answer our question, how on earth do we evangelise? Bring people to meet Jesus. Might sound simple. Bring people to meet Jesus. So we see we must go. We must go to our meeting places. We must be wise of these meeting places. Now we're seeing bring people to meet Jesus. But you're asking yourself, how on earth do I do that now? Jesus is in heaven. He's not like flesh and blood like he is here now standing in front of us. Well, this is one way we can do it. The church is described as Jesus' body in scripture, in Corinthians. And we all have many different gifts and personalities. And it could be simple as inviting people to church when you've built up that personal relationship with someone in your meeting place. To be honest, it's actually quite a good way. A lot of people always tell me people don't like coming to church. Generally, half and half, I've got people to church just by getting to know them and asking them. 50% is half and half. Some people just can't be bothered because they're getting lashed on a Saturday night. That means getting drunk. They're getting drunk on the Saturday night and wake up too late. But if your church starts at 4.30 a year, why not? Do you know what I mean? Unless they're, they're going to stay in bed all day because they got that drunk, I don't know. But, um, yeah, that generally works for me. And I come from a quite unchurched culture. 
and I think we all do to a certain degree. But if people do not want to come church, invite them to Christian events, because the church is made up of people, it says in Scripture. We are the church. So invite them to Christian events, either organic events that just come up inviting people around for dinner, or organised events. Let me tell you a story about my flat, right? In my flat, I share it with three other guys, yeah? And we're all Christians, and we all go to the same church. And I've lived in my flat for about two or three years. But as single men, we tend to get married sometimes, so people move out, you know? And then we've got a, then we've got a room available, and we advertise it to anyone. And what we've had in the past couple of years is people come in who are not Christians. And we've told them beforehand, we're all evangelical Christians, because that's what they tend to know. We all believe the Bible. Would you like to live with us? We would be willing to, for you to live with us. Would you like to? So we warn them. We tell them. Like, we're open about it, you know? And they go, yeah, sure, whatever, I don't mind. You can believe what you want to believe. And the feedback that we've had from these people living in our flats is amazing. Because I'll tell you what, we're not the best guys to live with. We're very sinful at times, and we always have a go at each other. Who's going to take out the rubbish? Who's going to do the washing and so forth, that stuff? And it gets into heated arguments at times. But the feedback I got from one girl who lived with us, because there was a woman once who lived with us, who was not a Christian, was amazing. She, was, she lived with us for about six, seven months. And she had no Christian background at all. None. And we told her we were all Christian. And what she did, she started getting to know us, and she started to really like us because she saw that we were a bit different. We didn't go out and get drunk. We didn't go out and sleep with women. There weren't different girls coming back all the time. Well, I would have never, I have to say, all the time. Never. <laughs> bit of a slip, that one, didn't it, all? Never. The way that we just spoke to each other was different to how she experienced. And the way that we forgave each other and sorted out conflict when conflicts arose in the house was different to what she experienced as well. We actually forgave each other. And when she saw us pray, she weren't freaked out by it. She just thought it was just like, ooh, ooh, what are you doing? You're actually talking to someone that, like they're there. And that gave us an opportunity, well, we think that he is there. And this girl was called Bracken. And after the end of living with us for six, seven months, she started coming to church. Now, she never became a Christian, but her idea of what Christians were and do changed. She no longer thought Christians were weird and odd and Christianity was just false. She started to get an idea is that actually Jesus could be real. And then she moved out. Sadly, she moved out. And I don't really keep in contact with her that much anymore. But she started, she changed her view on Christianity considerably from being a complete atheist to someone who was considering it. And the reason why is because we brought her to meet Jesus in our house context and then brought her to church. So it can happen. And that's just a good story from people who are flawed Christians and flawed people. So how do we evangelize? Well, we bring people to meet Jesus. And I suppose another question would be, in your meeting places and being wise with your meeting places, how would you bring people to meet Jesus? If you want to write that down, it's up to you. If you can figure about it in your head, it's up to you. How would you bring people to meet Jesus? Would it be in the church? It could be just doing a Bible study with them. It could be any ways. So that would be a good thing to think through. Now, I want to look at the last thing today. The last thing of answering the question, how on earth can we evangelise? And we're going to look at Acts 17. Back in Acts. And we're going to read quite a long passage of scripture. I just thought I'd warn you. And I just had a mental block and forgot where Acts is. That's not good for a graduate of a Bible college student, is it? 
Uh, there it is. Praise the Lord. Acts 17. So we're in Athens. And we're looking at verses... Let's start at 22. Right, Acts 17, verse 22. We're in Athens. Paul's in Athens with his ministry team, with his crew, or whatever you want to call them. And he's gone to a meeting place to meet people, a meeting point in their culture. Paul then stood up, verse 22, in the meeting of the Agrippus, Agrippus, well, you get the idea, and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious people. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, and even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, this is what Paul is doing. Now, I've got this off, of, I'm going to just quote, I've got, this off, I've got this off two people. I've got this off my UMP teacher, Duncan Forbes, and I've got this off a scholar called John Leonard, not Lennon, right? John Leonard, who's a, who's a teacher of mission at Westminster Theological Seminary, and he's got a book called, and I've completely forgotten it. <laughs> I'll tell you later, it will come back to me. But um, he's got a book on evangelism, and he says this, he says, what Paul is doing here is identifying with the Greeks and their culture. He's identifying with them. And you see how he's doing it. He's going up to them in this big meeting place going, you guys are very religious. Very religious, that's good. Very religious. And you've even got an inscription to an unknown God now. But you're quite ignorant of the thing you worship. So he's identified with something in their religion and their culture. And now let's see what else he does. So let's carry on. So this is Paul preaching. He's going into his sermon now. The God who made the world, verse 24, sorry. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, so identifying again, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked your ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn away from their ignorance. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, Paul has done another thing here, and I wonder if you can spot it. He's transforming their thinking. So he's identified with their culture. You're very religious. You've got an unknown God, but you're ignorant of who you worship. And then he's transformed their thinking to come under Christ's submission. You can see that here. I'm going to tell you about the God who created the heavens and the earth, who is sovereign, who is in control of all appointed times, even you guys here, and gave you all life. And he is going to judge the world one day. And he's shown this by setting an appointed time to judge the world by the person he raised from the dead. 
Paul is identifying with the Greek culture and then he's transforming it to come under the submission of Christ and the biblical worldview. So this is a very hard thing to do, may I say. So this is my last point. I find this the hardest to do when I'm reaching out to people. Identify with people and show how the gospel transforms their thinking. Identify with people and shows how the gospel can transform their thinking. Now, that sounds tough. And to be honest, I do find it tough, but other people are much more naturally gifted in certain ways. And I suppose identifying with people could be something like this. So I once met a person once who I met in the gym. I can't remember it's gym. I think it might be a football club. It was one of the two because it's in the same place, so I get a bit muddled sometimes. And he was talking to me. I built a relationship with him. And his story of his life was this. He's been rejected. He was rejected by his girlfriend. He was rejected by his father. He was rejected by his mother. This is how he interpreted his life. He was rejected by his school. He was rejected by his teachers. He was rejected by the police. Now, what's this guy saying? It begins with R. That he's rejected. His life story is rejected. And I identified with that because I guarantee all of us in here have suffered some form of rejection and it hurts. So I identified with him. And then I transformed it. And I said this, but did you know God has been rejected too? Did you know Jesus, who was the son of God, fully man and fully God, was rejected at the cross for all those who would believe in him, taking the sin for all those who would believe in him? And I'm a Christian, and I've been rejected as well. But I am filled and happy, and when I get sad about my rejection, I go to my Redeemer, my Jesus, who knows how it feels to be rejected, and who hasn't rejected me. So what I did there was identify with what he was saying, with what his life worldview was, rejection, and then transformed it to the gospel. Now, I find that the hardest, maybe you guys don't, And the last question I want us to think about is that think of someone in your peer group who you're friends with, because you're going to have to be quite close friends with this person, or that you're building a relationship with who you can identify with and then transform their thinking under the gospel. Think of someone you know who can do that. So hopefully today, and I've finished on time, look at that, because this was a 40-minute long thing, but I've done it in 30. Praise the Lord. Sorry, I always get a bit happy when I do that. So what we have learned today is this, right? What I've tried to show you from Scripture. And by the way, this is not the be-all and end-all of evangelism. There's many other different ways. This is, just what, this is what has just worked for me and for people in my church and what I found very helpful in my estate. So there's other ways, and you read other evangelism books that might say things differently. But this is what I've personally found in Scripture, which quite works on my context, and I think it can work in a number of contexts. But what we've seen today is that I've tried to answer the question which many of you have asked yourselves during some times in your life. How on earth do I evangelise? So I've said from scripture this. We pray, we go, we go to meeting points, we be wise with those meeting points, we invite people to meet Jesus, and then we identify and transform, identify with them and transform their thinking. 